This is Don't Sell the Farm. Listen, friend, God does not have to say to us again, I want you to go out and witness it. 1900 years ago, Jesus said to us, Go ye out into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. He does not have to say one more word. Those are our marching orders. We need no signs from heaven. We need no urging of the Spirit. We have a command that has never been rescinded. Every believer is commanded to go and witness for Jesus Christ. Those orders have never been rescinded. The urgency of the hour is into all the world, and we do not have for Forever to preach this gospel, but time is running out. On today's episode of Don't Sell the Farm, we had Pastor Tom Payne. He came in, spent a, a long time with us. We're very grateful to him. Uh, we ended up speaking with him for nearly two hours. He talked about quite a few things, but uh, I ended up Dividing today's episode into two parts. This episode is part one. We'll be releasing part two next week. And in uh, this first part episode, Pastor Payne talks about a a number of things, but uh, focuses on his conversion to Christ, discipleship, and uh, his early days in ministry. And to uh, tease what he talks about next week, he really gets into the meat of of ministry and some of the experiences uh, that he's had overseas, um, both in Australia and in uh, Nairobi, Kenya. It's a very good episode uh, this week as well as next week, and we're we're very thankful to Pastor Payne for coming on the show. Um, so start us off, though, if you would, uh, just give us, you know, your the basic testimony how you got saved. Um, how you ended up in Prescott and, uh, and then, and then kind of go into, um, how that led into ministry. All right. So my testimony is I was born in Rochester, New York. I would say our family was at the lower end of middle class. We were a Catholic family. We had six kids, five boys, one girl relatively stable. My father was gone a lot because he was an insurance rep and on the road. Um, but overall, you know, it was, it was a good upbringing. My parents' marriage failed when I was in high school and, um, I spun out pretty bad into drugs and rebellion. Um, not that that's an excuse because my siblings didn't all do that. Maybe I used it as an excuse, but either way, um, by the time I finished high school, I was full on into partying and decided that I was going to take some time with my friend, Jeff Day, and we were going to hitchhike across country. We took four months and uh, we started in California. And uh, through that four months of craziness, we actually went through Prescott, Arizona. And uh, interestingly enough, we, we knew some of the guys there that were going to a, um, the, the two-year college, the Yavapai Community College there, and uh, they had graduated a few years before us. So we actually stayed with them, and it was just a full-on party. Never got witness to, never heard the gospel. It was a bit of a blur, to be honest with you. And um, we um, continued our journey, and we ended in uh, Florida where one of our other friends from high school was 
making a crack at higher education, and uh, that was Louis Paulino. And so uh, we made, eventually made our way back to New York. And so the um, things began to change. I was actually on the phone back in New York to one of the guys that we had visited in Prescott. He was also back in New York. And he asked me this question out of the blue. He said, so what are you going to do with your life, Payne? I said, I don't know. He said, you know what you need to do? You need to go to Prescott and go to college. And I felt the Holy Ghost. I mean, I'm a stone sinner. I don't know very much about God at all. And like the spirit of God came on me. I didn't know what it was. And I just knew that's what I needed to do. So I called Jeff and said, you know what we need to do? We need to go to Prescott and go to college. <laughs> so we said, okay. We didn't have a lot of direction in life. But uh, then Louis decided he wanted to go. And uh, we loaded up the day after Christmas in a snowstorm, drove to Prescott. And long story short, um, we uh, eventually ended up in a one-bedroom apartment that we had to lie to get into. <laughs> people were smart enough in Prescott not to want to rent the three long hairs from New York. And um, eventually, Louie got invited to church by one of the guys in the church, and um, he got saved. It was actually Friday night of January Bible Conference in 1979. So imagine, so he gets invited to church. Me and Jeff went out and got drunk. And I remember walking out of the bar because we were just a block from our apartment. Did you guys know where he was going when uh, you guys well, were headed to the bars or do you have any idea? Yeah, yeah, we did because he, he had to uh, walk to a class that was a university class, but it happened to be um, being held at the high school across from the church when it was on Ruth Street, oh, for whatever yeah, reason. That. Yeah. And so Louis had to walk. Jeff's car was actually broke down at the time. So Louis had to walk. And um, his story is that, um, I mean, this is the middle of winter in Prescott. It is what it is. It was a pretty long walk. I'd say it was a couple miles. Um, he noticed somebody walking behind him about you know 50 feet behind him and he thought maybe he's going to the same class i'm going to or maybe he's going to the high school so he waited for him <laughs> and it just so happened to be bill bancroft from the prescott church wow on his way to conference <laughs> so bill and you know some some of you guys would know bill bancroft he was a miracle testimony from yep. back east yep so he witnessed to Louis the whole way, and Louis made the mistake of giving him his address and agreeing to go to church with him the next night. <laughs> <laughs> so all day, Louis's going, Oh man, this guy invited me to church, man. And I gave him the address, and he's coming over. And I said, That's fine, Louis. You just hide in the bathroom when he comes. We answer the door, tell him you're not home, and it's over. No problem. <laughs> hide in the bathroom. And yeah, yeah. There's a little apartment oh, with one I bedroom. See, I see. You know? So um, he goes, nah, he goes, I'll, I'll just go. It's just kind of weird because, again, we grew up Catholics. And, you know, Catholics make their appearance at Mass every now and then, you know. And so, right. so Louis, you know, Louis going to go to Mass, you know. And so <laughs> I think he says in uh, when he talks about it, he says he called it Mass even, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're like, 
you, you don't have to do this, man. He goes, nah, I think I'll just go. I go, all right, you know. So the guy comes over and he takes a stab at witnessing to us, you know, and of course we're like, nah, you know, uh, no, no problem, man. You guys just go and do what you're going to do. So after they left, I left Louie a little note. I said, Louie, um, you know, if you get home before we do, we're at such and such a bar. And then I put P.S. Praise the Lord, Louie. <laughs> well, <laughs> because we had a friend get saved in 10th grade, radically converted. And uh, so we kind of had heard this before. Right. So when me and Jeff came stumbling out of the bar, drunk, and we're on our walk downhill to the apartment, I said, hey, Day, wouldn't that be funny if we went home and Louie was all saved and everything? And, wow. uh, <laughs> sure enough. And so we walk in, man, and there's Louie in, in bed already with his blue new convert Bible, man. He's already got it open reading. Wow. And we're like, oh, no. Oh, no. And it's like, oh, yes. He is like full on born again, man. In our face, telling us about Jesus and how he got saved. And I said, you know what, man? Shut up. I don't want to hear it. I'll give you two weeks. You'll be back in the bars with us. And he pointed his little Italian finger right in my face. He said, I ain't going to hell for you. Wow. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's great. Then we'll go to hell all by ourselves. But just shut up. I don't want to hear it. And so um, so for a couple of days, he's witnessing to Jeff nonstop. I couldn't escape it. I was under such conviction. And anyway, he finally prevailed. I went to a new converts class with him and um, got saved. And then the next day, Mark Olson, who was the outreach director, picked me up hitchhiking because I got saved. I was born again. I immediately got delivered from drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, and I'm out looking for a job. I mean, I got saved. Wow. Yeah. Went from partying to uh, clean cut and looking for a job. Yeah. So let me ask real quick. um, Now, you said you finally went with Louie, but was it, was it, the weight of the conviction or was it kind of a mix between the weight of the conviction and just, just going to get them off your back? Cause, cause I, I, I tend to well, see that's a lot of times a, how people go to church. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, um, that's, that's a significant question. And I didn't know how in detail I, I want, you wanted me to go, but what, what happened was to be honest with you, um, Jeff would argue with Louis nonstop and Louis was devouring his Bible. And he was answering Jeff, everything that Jeff said. He was say, I just read this in the Bible. The wages of sin is death. And I couldn't get away from it. It's a one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't mind, hide in the bathroom. So the, the clash of minds is happening, and you're just, you're just the, uh, the innocent bystander picking and it up. And I'm on. just wanting Jeff to shut up. I'm like, and I think I knew he was right. I just, I wasn't ready for this. This wasn't in the game plan. We are 2,800 miles from home. And we didn't come out here to, to, to get saved. We came out here to party. This was prolonged adolescence. This was just making a, a feigned attempt at education. But we picked this city because it was a great party city. And this wasn't on the to-do list, man. This was messing with my world. It was messing with my plan. And how old were you guys at the time? We were 19. Okay. 19 okay. years old. And, um, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, Jeff, would you please just shut up? Just shut up. You're not going to win. 
So I was actually in the bedroom laying on the bed and um, Louie and Jeff are going at it out in the living room. And I just prayed. I don't even know who I was talking to. I was just laying on, on the bed with my hands behind my head. And I just said, God, I'm not going to do this just because Louie did it. But if you're real, I'll serve you. Wow. And I'm telling you, the presence of the holy God of the universe came into that room. And I thought I was going to die. I wow. seriously, I, I was I couldn't believe anybody heard that prayer or much less answered that prayer. Yeah. But in my mind, I don't know that I said it out loud, but in my mind, it went something like this. Okay, just don't kill me. <laughs> wow. Wow. And, and so from there, I didn't, I, you know, and it, it was years before I even told anybody about that, but I, then at some point I just said to Louie, we took, we took turns cooking. Um, and, uh, it was his turn to cook. He was going to make something for dinner. And he said, look, I got to go to this Bible study and, um, I'll make dinner when I get home. I said, can I go? And he kind of looks at me, <laughs> he goes, uh, yeah. You can go. And um, so I went, having already been confronted by God and the Holy Spirit. So I was primed, and it was it was just a four of us. It was uh, me and Louie, Dick Paola, and Les Clemens sitting in a row in four chairs, and Mark Olson teaching a, a lesson that happened to be on salvation. Wow. <laughs> Timely. So at the end of the lesson, he said, every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm thinking every head bowed. If you're in here and you don't know Jesus, and in my mind, I'm thinking, come on, what is this, a Billy Graham crusade? <laughs> like, I'm the only person in this room that's not a Christian. Everybody right. knows that. I just, right. I was so cynical in my, you know, my New York East Coast attitude. I'm like, if you're in this place, you know, Jesus, come <laughs> on. You know? And so I just lifted my head in my hand and said, it's me. Yeah. So uh, Mark Olson led me in a sinner's prayer. I don't really remember what I said, but afterwards he said, now you can just pray and talk to God. Yeah. There's no doubt things that you need to talk to God about. And I, I remember that prayer. I remember really digging in and getting a hold of God. I heard him praying in the background. I always said he's probably casting demons out of me. <laughs> but I got up converted. Praise I mean, I got up born again. And I was delivered from drugs, alcohol, cigarettes. I had tried to quit smoking and I had, it was a disaster. So then from there, um, Mark Olson, you know, Prescott's a small town and he saw me walking around, picked me up, wanted to know if I wanted to get coffee. And I said, well, yeah, but let's go back to my apartment. You can witness to my friend, Jeff. <laughs> nice. So we came back, well, we came, I came back home with Louie. He, he had said he was moving out. That was the other thing mm. is that before I, he said, I'm moving out. And I just couldn't believe it. You're moving out. You're moving out. He goes, yeah. Cause if I keep hanging out with you guys, I'll backslide. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice. So he, he made wow. a huge stand. It was a heroic. Yeah. Stand yeah. That he made it was a good us. decision. Yeah. So when we walk back in the apartment, um, Louie announces <laughs> maybe not delicately, Ah, uh, Jeff, there's two of us now. I don't have to move out. You know? There's two <laughs> of us now. <laughs> so anyway, um, Mark came over and, um, yeah, just started brain wrestling with Jeff. 
and um, Jeff ended up praying a sinner's prayer with him, and uh, we got saved. We were saved. It was. It took a week. Wow, you were in Prescott for a week. In Prescott for a whole week. Wow. Wow, that is that's quick. That's. Quick. I was going to ask you about that timeline too. That is. Yeah, you make it sound like it was happening over. You you gave Louie two weeks, and uh, God gave you one, I guess. So. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> there you go. I'm telling you. Wow, that's tremendous. And and the best thing about this is obviously, you're still serving God. We know Louie is still serving God. Me and David were just working with him yesterday at an event that we were doing here, and we know yeah. Jeff Day is still serving God. So that's that's tremendous. Right. It's very very cool. Very unusual. I've known these guys from seventh and eighth grade, respectively. And it's just amazing to me to um, be able to share this journey, you know, and to have, sure. have all these years of reference points, you know. Definitely. So uh, you get saved, you know, you've been in Prescott for about a week, and uh, God starts to move on you for ministry at some point. Give us that uh, basic rundown, how you were, uh, you know, began to felt called to preach, how you were discipled and uh, ultimately launched. Yeah, well, Prescott in those days was probably 20,000 people. There wasn't a whole lot of work. It was a miracle that we stayed, and I think it was God's sovereign wisdom and design. He deliberately put a worldwide movement in a small city with a broken economy because just to stay in Prescott you had to lay down your life. You had to right. completely surrender. I mean, you know, we, we may have been young and stupid and, and foolish in our partying ways, but seriously, we, we had aspirations, you know, whether we would have ever reached them is questionable, but, you know, obviously we wanted to do something with our lives, but it wasn't staying in this little cow town, you know, with no work, the only jobs available in those days was hanging drywall, it seemed like, or working for the city on the garbage truck. <laughs> and, you know, so we were, you know, we're, we're making a stab at uni. We, they call it uni here in, in Australia. We're making a stab at college, at Yavapai Community College, right? So taking business courses, accounting, you know, I always wanted to be into that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, Louie announces that he's going to drop out of school. And I go, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, man, I want to be a disciple. I want to serve God. And again, so he's, he's has this amazing revelation real early. And I, and I remember being challenged by that. And I thought, well, that's great for you, man, but I'm not working at Fry's the rest of my life. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to try to win my girlfriend, my girlfriend from New York, Janice, to, to, to the Lord, and we'll get married and move to Texas or something. I'm already thinking out, you know, yeah. I'm already thinking. You're planning so, your exit strategy, huh? Yeah, because, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's good to know God and all, but certainly God's everywhere, isn't he? I mean, you know, so... <laughs> But in the and that that would have been within the first week of conversion. I mean, I got saved on Tuesday. I was in the music scene on Friday night because it used to be Friday and Saturday. I I testified Friday night in the music scene, was filled with the Holy Spirit in the altar call of that music scene on Friday night, and baptized on Sunday. 
And um, so this all happened really quick. And, um, you know, I'm being followed up by um, this guy, Kevin Foley. Amazing. He's amazing. He just all of a sudden started coming over and giving us rides and stuff. And, and we were pretty amazed by the attention we were getting. We felt like rock stars, you know, we're, we're at people's houses for dinner. And I got to know Kevin Foley, and I'm thinking, hey, this guy's pretty switched on, man. This is a pretty smart human being here. And ask him what he's doing for a living, and he said, oh, I, I manage McDonald's. Wow. And that was like, what? Kind of blew your mind, huh? Like, what? What, the, what in the world, man? <laughs> and so Mark Olson gets sent out. Kevin Foley becomes the outreach director. Six months later, he gets sent out, and the penny dropped. Hmm like this revelation like wow that's what this is all about these guys are signing on to something huge right this is huge it began to dawn on me this isn't just a church in a small town this is huge this is destiny this is big yeah and god began to deal with me about my part in it and it included focusing on discipleship and not a university education and so i also finished out that semester and didn't re-sign up first job i got after quitting college was maintenance at the college i found myself oh. watering the bushes i thought you were going to say fries huh? i thought you were going to say yeah. you start wearing the fries well, Jeff did. Jeff started working at Fries in the graveyard shift, and I'm watering. I'm holding a hose, you know. And and guys are, you know, I'm. I feel like the young people that are walking by me are thinking, like, why don't you get an education or something, you know? <laughs> and from there, I got a job on the garbage truck. And so it wasn't a bad job. It's like four forty an hour and all you can eat. So I had its benefits. You know? Many a man has been discipled on the back of a garbage truck. <laughs> well, I'm telling you. So it really was, um, it was a pick up your cross and follow me experience. That's what it was. And that's the genius of God that I think putting revival in Prescott was a built-in test that, I had to weigh up the uh, the length to which God went out of his way to touch my life, which was powerful. I mean, it was unusual. I, I, was, I was amazed at that. And yet everything earthly and everything, you know, that would touch ambition was being challenged. Right. And I just made a decision. I said, you know what? I'm all in for this, man. I don't know all of what's going to happen here. And I have no idea all of what God's going to do, but I know this is big. This is big. And I, I can't miss this. I can't miss what God's doing here. Yeah. So then I just decided to become a disciple. And it was less than four years later, I was sent out. I was saying, I've always said four years, but it was in the fourth year. It was three and a half years. Wow. So how and, did uh, how did your wife Janice end up in Prescott? Well, so we um, began to, um, of course, want to witness to all our friends. Uh, you know, I always joke that even as a stoner and a drugger, I didn't I didn't do a whole lot of drinking coffee. I mean, 
I don't know why, but I discovered coffee as a new convert. Everybody wanted <laughs> to go out for coffee after the music scene. And the truth is the music scene got out what well, was over by 10. And we didn't even start our night at 10. 10, you know, for us, the night has just begun. I mean, <laughs> we would have normally been out till four in the morning. So what do you do at 10 o'clock when everything Christian is over? So we really, we really tripped out. Like we went through this phase, like, I can't believe I'm a Christian phase, you know? <laughs> I'd point at Jeff and Louie and it would be, I can't believe you're a Christian. And then I'd laugh and say, I can't believe I'm a Christian. And we just didn't know how to act. We didn't know what that meant or what you were supposed to do or not do. And we knew instinctively what we were supposed to do, but what do you do? So yeah, these guys following up on us would take us out to coffee. We'd get filled up with, you know, pots of coffee and we yep. would be buzzing on caffeine until four in the morning and writing letters <laughs> to all our friends back in New York. Literally, we, we bombed them, man. We, we, we sent mortars, you know, across the country. There's no email and texting. So it's just hard copy letters and we're witnessing to everybody. And I witnessed to Jan. Wow. And, and, and um, as I, as I recall from uh, stories I've heard from the two of you, Jan kind of saw herself as a, um, you know, a good girl who who was trying to help the partier Tom. Is that correct? Well, I don't know about trying to help. Um, I think she was, um, you know, she was a completely different uh, category of human being. <laughs> I, met, I met her, and she was just this pretty girl that um, had her act together a lot more than me as far as morals and mm -hmm. stability. And, you know, she caught my eye and she got caught in my draft and I began to drag her into the dark side a bit. <laughs> and um, so she was, she was much, um, much more clean cut than me. And um, basically, when I wrote to her, it was like everything I talked you into was sin and you're going to hell. You know, it wasn't quite tactful. It wasn't um, extremely wise. And um, so, of course, she pushed back. She had some gospel background. Yep. She had been raised with some gospel background, had a heart for God in much of uh, much time in her youth. And, but, you know, also realized that she wasn't, she wasn't serving God. So she came out to see what was going on and got saved six months into my conversion. She came out for my birthday and got saved uh, in the Prescott church. She then went back to New York, tried to find a church that was um, gospel oriented and um, couldn't do that. And then decided she would move to Prescott. Yeah. And uh, you guys ended up getting courting and getting married after that, I assume. Yeah. So, you know, uh, again, I, I like I said, I had um, in my mind entertained the possibility of marrying her. I wanted to be sure she she was serious about God. And um, she moved to Prescott without any promise of marrying me. Um, she, you know, probably would have thought 
of the possibility as much as I did. Yeah. But it wasn't long about after she arrived in Prescott that, you know, that became very solidified. And I think it would have been within four months or so that we got married. Everything you're saying, obviously, is very personal. Um, but I, I wanted to know, kind of get a feel, I guess, for what was during all everything from the time you got saved until the time you're going to get sent out. I mean, what was the atmosphere in Prescott? You know, um, especially now having experience as a pastor and a missionary, what was that experience like in Prescott, the atmosphere? Well, that's a good question because I think uh, one of the things that I was asked was, what was it like being in the Jesus People Movement compared to now, right? And the atmosphere, you got to understand, I was saved in... Um, 1979 pastor mitchell had arrived in 1970 that was the height of the jesus people movement 1970 mm. i would have only been 11 years old at that time i graduated in 77 and i came out to prescott in 79 by that time the jesus people wave had kind of crested um the pat the prescott church was past the early days where the original building um, you know, and the dozens of teenagers on the floor, uh, by the time I got saved, the church had built its building on Ruth street with two additions and it was a machine. The atmosphere was the church, Prescott church was a machine. It ran between four and 500 people. The music scene was in the basement of the church Friday and Saturday night, two conferences a year. They planted all the guys that followed up on me. And there were 35 churches in the whole fellowship. I remember Pastor Mitchell could line up all the churches and pray for them on Friday night. Oh. I would say that the church was, was in what I would call the pushback phase. Okay. The community pushback phase. Uh, we weren't seeing hundreds of people saved. We weren't seeing dozens of people saved. There was a huge reputation. The church had a huge reputation in the city. Yeah. Um, but I remember we had to fight to evangelize. We had to fight to keep the park. Um, I remember, you know, the first time I tried to witness getting huge pushback and uh, being told I was in a cult very early and you know, I heard they hand out drugs in the offering plate. Yeah, there. I mean, I remember like, hearing that when I was a kid here, too. So you know, I'm, I'm like, man, I, I've been in lots of parties. I don't think I've ever been in a setting when anybody helped handed out drugs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Number two, I, I haven't seen any drugs since I've been going to this church. Right. But for me, um, my reference point of the of, of what was going on there was like I was dropped into this this rapid, this white water rapid movement where they had worked this out. They, they had worked out evangelism, discipleship, church planning. Right. And I got caught in this and I made decisions about prayer and about holiness and about faithfulness and not taking a job that kept me out of church. And then getting involved in evangelism, it was all about the gospel works. This is supernatural, but you're going to have to be creative. It's going to be trial and error. 
And we're going to try this. If that doesn't work, we're going to try that. And if that doesn't work, we're going to try this. And it's, it's almost, I want to say very little has changed for me in the 35 plus years that I've been a pastor because um, you know, guys that talk about being in the Jesus people movement where they could show a movie that has nothing to do with the gospel and people would get saved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that hundred, they saw the church grow, you know, 300 people in a year. That's a different reference point that I have. I, I have a reference point that this was an effective, highly tuned a mechanism and I, I hate to make it impersonal it's an organism it's alive but right it my reference points was this works and it doesn't matter if that outreach didn't work you find another one that does and if you crack the code and figure it out you're going to tap into something and something's going to powerfully break loose right. and people are going to get converted and radically saved and filled with the holy ghost yeah so that's kind of been that was my experience very good so so sort of uh um kind of what we're doing even today, which is always looking for the next opportunity to, you know, how can we get more people here, you know, more unsaved families, unsaved young people that we can preach to because, you know, casting a wide net. And then sometimes you have, (laughs) Pastor Greg calls them uh, pizza outreaches, where you say, well, that one didn't work out. Let's get pizza, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. So I guess you were brought up in sort of a what we've experienced throughout the the history of our fellowship, you know, sparked by the Jesus people movement, of course. But just what you're saying about it being a machine and and something that's fine tuned and, you know, we look for what works. We try the next thing. We are always that's something about the the uh, the atmosphere of discipleship is that things being disciple led we're always looking for the next thing to go after like hey you know there's a park over here that's always got people at it why don't we try this you know or yeah something to that effect so yeah that's a very good lesson and um and that's kind of where we i think still sort of are as a fellowship today and I, i think we're on the precipice of something new happening you know just some of the words we've gotten some of the things we've heard in conferences and stuff but uh yeah, definitely. But I want to ask you, uh, you know, moving on from from your discipleship into uh, your ministry, um, where did you go first when you were launched from Prescott? You got launched out, and where did you go? Our first assignment was Las Vegas, Nevada, and this would be the church that is currently pastored by Scott Lamb. It was eight months old, had twenty five people. And was full, and I was full time. We were we were self supporting, and I took something of a salary. It was an amazing dynamic. Wow. Um, the guy that had pioneered the church did an amazing job. Uh, There's some extreme converts there, and uh, yeah, my wife was eight months pregnant with our first child, and we drove there in uh, the end of July, in the middle of summer. <laughs> oh. And uh, hit the ground running and just um, believed God. And God God really helped us there. And uh, how, many, uh, how much time did you spend in Las Vegas? We were there for three and a half years. And um, 
saw the church grow to about 70, 80 people. Wow. And um, got into another building and uh, really did um, see God help us as far as getting people saved and, and seeing some growth in the church course, made a lot of mistakes, learned lots of things. Sure. And, um, but uh, that was our first assignment. So just like you had to grow uh, before you were going to get, you know, sent out and you had to deal with some things and kind of struggle with, you know, whether you were, you know, going to go out and preach. What, how was your wife um, with that same, uh, you know, how did she deal with you being called to preach? She's been amazing um, right from the beginning because when she came out, she was radically converted as well. We were immediately very much drank deep of the vision of our fellowship that we were going to reach the world, that we were in, involved in something huge. So to Jan's credit, she has always been willing to trust what I would say is the will of God for our lives. Right. And it's, for, it's been very amazing for, for me that she was willing to leave her friends, her doctor, eight months pregnant, we didn't have insurance, and go to a new city and have a baby. She's followed me back to New York, uh, back to the Midwest, or to the Southwest, to Kenya, to Australia. Um, and, and of course, you know, she's like anyone else and, and, and we all have our struggles, but she's been incredibly, um, uh, supportive of the fact that, um, God has called me and that she is called to be my helper and has been amazing. Okay. That's great. That's so great. what are some of those, uh, those early days lessons that you, you maybe picked up in, uh, in Vegas and. I think your next assignment was Rochester, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Actually, yeah. We, we, we pioneered in Albany, and we ended up in a city called Schenectady, New York. Oh, Schenectady. I'm sorry. Yeah, Schenectady. So, yeah. so what were some of the, the early you know, takeaways as a, as a pastor that you maybe picked up in those, in those first couple of assignments? Yeah, I think one of the hardest lessons that I've had to struggle with is finding the balance as a pastor, mm -hmm. how to deal with problems that arise in the church correctly. And I, I found that the mistakes range from perhaps the initial impulse to overreact ah. that you have problems, you know, people have problems and, and um, we're in the people business and we have job security <laughs> because people come in and they got issues, man, and their issues got issues. And uh, those issues begin to um, be expressed within a congregation and that can create turbulence. And so I think one of the rookie errors that we make is overreacting. Right. So we feel like we have to chase around every brush fire and the pastor's going to mount the pulpit and ride in on his white horse and he's going to preach at the issue and everybody in the room is going to have a come to Jesus moment and weep at the altar and wake up fixed. And, you know, um, and it's the naivety that thinks you're going to fix everything like that, that, uh, that, that uh, just by the sheer force of your goodwill and the power of the truth under the anointing, 
is just gonna is gonna cause all the chainsaws to just idle calmly and start behaving yeah and um and so that's i think that's that's one one um one over reaction the other i think is to underreact in other words to not address things huh. to, okay. to let things go that need to be dealt with and then they become toxic and they become worse and yeah so i i learned that you know the, that the, a pastor is not god not expected to be god and needs wisdom from god so there's there's wisdom there's developing leadership skills there's developing people skills and th that can have a steep learning curve you right. can you can spend a lot of years blowing it yeah. <laughs> and the answer uh, that i learned was was a quality of prayer life and relationship with god as well as getting over the hesitation to call your pastor yeah be transparent and allow the benefit of his experience and guidance to help so in other words the discipleship continues long it's into totally the ministry there's only so much you're going to learn in the church or on staff because you know you you have to get out there to um you know, to even begin to experience some of the challenges. Right. So clearly, uh, you know, you've grown, you know, from those days into a role of leadership in the fellowship. And, you know, uh, what are some of the, as, as you've developed your ministry, what are some of the more rewarding aspects of sticking with it, uh, allowing yourself to develop and, and growing into, you know, uh, increased ministry yeah that um that, that's very important because the ministry is is incredibly satisfying if you can um you know manage all the pitfalls and, and fails and challenges the most rewarding things for me uh first and foremost conversions to see people converted to Christ, men and women, young and old, transformed by the power of God. That's what happened to me. Yeah. I was converted. I have faith for conversions. To me, conversion is normal. Yeah. That's, that's yep. what needs to happen. And, you know, as a pastor, many men would say, you can go on the strength of a conversion. You can go on the strength of somebody really being changed and set free for a long time. And, you know, just learning to develop the skills of evangelism and an atmosphere in the church where conversions are not only uh, common and, and um, uh, powerful, but it's safe for converts. It's, there's an atmosphere where converts can make it and develop. After that, far and away, the most rewarding reality is discipleship right and um you know you you can remember the big event the big outreach you can remember the big um success but really what's the most rewarding is the fulfillment of working with with men and couples 
and then developing and releasing them into ministry and watching them become effective themselves in, in this task because it takes on a whole nother dimension. That's where it scales. You know, you hear the term, you know, when, when a business can scale, that's the multiplying amazing factor. Yeah. It's the uh, synergy. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And so that is so rewarding to me that I'm addicted to it. I mean, to work with men and work with couples and release them into ministry, not only, um, creates lifelong friends, lifelong relationships, even in places where you used to be and years ago. But it, it just, it's so rewarding um, yeah. that it, it helps you develop your um, redemptive skills because to successfully do that, you have to learn the art of, of being redemptive because people are imperfect, they make mistakes, they can fail, they can hurt you, they can hurt themselves. But rather than feeling like your job is to straighten them out or you know to fix them, it's, it's to apply the redemptive dynamics of God to their lives and then right. to watch them blossom. It's like, there's nothing, there's nothing like, I haven't tried everything in life, but having a, been a former thrill seeker. <laughs> yeah, adrenaline uh, you know adrenaline junkie in many ways there's nothing that matches that there's nothing that matches the right. buzz and wow. thrill and rush and then of course i would say as you're doing that god then begins to equip you with a with a with an anointing yeah with gifts of the holy spirit and to see people healed and delivered because god's heart is for them and when you begin to develop your skills in these areas, then God, then I believe is pleased to release this equipping to help with that because right. we can't do it. They, people don't need a pep talk. Well, yeah, They need a miracle. If you've listened to today's featured guest and are stirred by their words, please contact us at don'tsellthefarmph at gmail.com. We'd love to let them know that they encouraged you. If you're not right with God and you're listening to this podcast, Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you would like to give your life to Jesus as our featured guest, our hosts, and many millions of others have, simply repeat this prayer after me. Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. From this moment forward, I turn from my sins. Please come into my heart and change me. Make me a new creation in Christ. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you gave your life to Christ because of this podcast, please contact us and let us know. We would love to help you find a church home.